The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan, and we got a lot to get to. we got some great questions on Twitter for a Twitter mailbag. We'll, of course, get to your speaker request questions uh, after an hour or so of the podcast, but glad to have you on board for the recording. And John, let's get started here with a question from loyal listener uh, Date Nunkin, who wanted to get your. <laughs> one, he, yeah, uh, I'm sorry that name. <laughs> he he, uh, he wanted to get your perspective on uh, the Kawhi Leonard injury situation. Uh, now it's been announced that he has a partially torn ACL and had surgery to correct that yesterday. Yeah, in doing reading on this, once I read about the injury, it seems like there's functionally very little difference between a partially torn ACL and a fully torn ACL. And for that reason, we could expect him to miss a big chunk of next season, if not the whole thing. And so I think it has pretty huge implications. It also has implications for free agency, right? Uh, Leonard might be more willing to sign a four-year extension. He could opt into his contract, basically, and sign a four-year extension. He might be more willing to do that now than some of the other alternatives that were out there. You know, I don't think signing a one plus one and then trying to get a five-year deal next year, you could do that. But I think there's more risk with that now. So I think it, I think it has a lot of implications across the board. And really makes the Clippers planning a lot harder because they, you know, their mindset is obviously they're all in to win the title. And now, is that really realistic where it's where your team now is Paul George and your second best player is, uh, I, I don't know, who is their second best player actually? Re- Reggie, play, playoff Re- Reggie Jackson and playoff Mr. Nick Batum. Mr. July. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I had thought that that was the case as well, that basically, all right, if it's bad enough that you have to have surgery, that it's really the fact that you had the surgery that is causing you to miss the time. And so partially torn versus fully torn doesn't really matter that much. Now, uh, the saga of Spencer Dinwiddie maybe changes that a little bit for me. He supposedly was thinking about a return during the NBA Finals. He uh, was cleared for all basketball activities during the playoffs. Uh, he told me that he was like ready to go potentially for the playoffs. And so that might be better. I, I don't think that Jay Crowder is the o- only other one that comes to mind for a partially torn ACL had surgery in 2015 when he got hit by J.R. Smith uh, and went down and tore his, partially tore his ACL. So that's maybe not a good analog. But if Kawhi could come back kind of on the Dinwiddie 
timeline or even maybe a little longer than that you know maybe something like the all-star break could be realistic then of course there's the issue of what's he actually going to look like once he gets back as well but you know you don't know we don't have that many instances of this partially torn acl and having a surgery other than dinwiddie and we have we didn't actually see dinwiddie in action we just announced that he's yeah cleared it's one thing basketball activities it's one thing to say you might come back it's another thing to actually come back right and so but that's certainly what you're the outcome you're hoping for if, if you're the clippers like okay we can ride paul george to the playoffs and then Kawhi comes in and now we're a real contender once the playoffs start yeah, and I would caution against saying that next year's Clippers team will look as good as this year's Clippers team looked without Paul George or without Kawhi Leonard because they were playing Paul George 43 minutes a game and they were playing Marcus Morris at center for very large portions of the game that was messing up all these teams that have centers. And so I would be very, and also just to expect that you're going to get the same as out of Reggie Jackson and Nick Batum, assuming that you retain them, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, 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 had, they had work to do, even if Kawhi was healthy in, in terms of what they bring back next year. Yeah, so obviously this is a disaster for the Clippers, and we'll leave out the idea that he may not even resign. There was some reporting, and I can't remember who exactly had it, uh, that there he was you know, a little peeved with the Clippers medical staff. No idea whether that's true or not, but he has a history of not being happy with teams that medical staffs, but it does seem like he could get that five-year deal, which would only be essentially $3 million less over the five years than what he could get if he were eligible to sign a five-year deal, which he's not because they only have early bird rights on him, but he's only making $3 million less if he takes that player option than he would be have made if he got a whole new contract, 36 versus 39 million. And then the next four years of the contract would be the same as what he could have made. So it's only costing himself $3 million over five years. You would imagine that would have some appeal to him. You'd have to think so, right? To, to me, the only realistic alternative is to opt out, sign a one plus one, and then, you know, know ahead of time, like sort of had it worked out ahead of time that like, yes, Clippers, you will give me the five-year max next summer. Uh and, yeah. and then he can go full be, full bird, and it's off a you know off a higher platform and everything, and and get some paid an extra year. So I guess the, the idea of him leaving, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, if you've heard differently. I mean, there's been so little smoke about him leaving or going other places. Generally, it seems like now his, he's a little different than most free agents, but uh, generally it seems like when a guy may leave, there's more noise around it by this point in time than we've heard with him. And certainly there was plenty of noise, even as Toronto was winning the championship that he was going to leave yeah. last time. So I, I have a, a fair degree of confidence that he's going to return. Yeah, I mean, so you know, these if these teams are, were planning on signing him, they really got to step up their tampering game here because we we just haven't heard much yet. So I I, I would agree with you there. So let's uh, let's get into this mailbag here. Uh, we okay. had a chance to go through some of these questions. What do you want to start with? Uh, yeah, uh, and it would it would help if I had the actual mailbag pulled up. Um, <laughs> I I could start us with one <laughs> while you do that. Uh, let's start with this one from uh, Thomas DeSena. Has the performance of Bigs in the playoffs, eight and Giannis and Beat, etc., changed or modified Hollinger's viewpoint that teams should not invest significant draft capital in centers? I don't know that that quite characterizes the way you feel about it. I think you and I feel similarly that you shouldn't ex- invest significant draft capital in centers, but maybe it's just that, I don't know, explain what your philosophy is on that. That's probably the better way to Yeah, do it. To, to me, I mean, b- big wings are the thing that everyone is looking for and you can't have enough of them. Like if, if, you, if you have four big wings, you could still use a fifth one. And so... 
to, to me that that's the that's the the scarcest most precious thing. So other things being equal, you should elevate those players in ter- in terms of your draft methodology. Now it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take a big. I mean, one of the arguments I've heard in in reply to my assessment is that identification is actually easier with the bigs. In other words, there are only so many people on the planet who are seven feet tall. It's relatively easy to separate the among them the good ones from the bad ones, and and so that you have a better chance of hitting on any individual selection of a of a big than than you would of a perimeter player just because identification is easier. I'm not sure that is totally borne out. I mean. We're picked, right? So I'm, I'm, just, yeah. I, I'm just saying I've had that case made to me, um, which which is interesting, but I, I'm not I'm not sure that's totally borne itself out. I, you, you know, when you say bit, you know, you, you can't really lump in Giannis with with bigs here. I don't think. I mean, he plays more as a perimeter no. player. Um, well, and he was drafted he, as a perimeter player too, right? Like he was he was six nine and super skinny when he was drafted. Yeah, everyone thought he was a small forward. Yeah, and then uh, and then he kept growing. The um, and for and Jason Kidd ruined his jumper. Sorry, maybe it wasn't Jason <laughs> Kidd. Somebody did. Some yeah, there there no, there needs to be an investigation to that clearly. But you know, even a guy even a guy like Jokic, I mean, there's so much perimeter skill there that even the big I think even the bigs you do draft has changed a little bit. Aiton is probably the one guy who's like falls in that very traditional mold and you look back and you were like okay I mean obviously they could have had Luca but if if you didn't know that Luca was going to be Luca you can look back at that draft and still be like okay it makes sense at number 1 then but generally I'm yeah you you I, I just don't get excited about drafting centers when you can draft big wings and have roughly the same chance of hitting on them because the the ROI on hitting on a big wing especially when you have them on a rookie contract is just so much better yeah I think so I, I would not agree with it. whoever it was you had that conversation with that bigs are easier to identify who's going to be good and who isn't I mean to some ex- extent maybe because I think bigs are it's more reliant on just what your physical capabilities are and if you're a big who plays hard and has certain physical capabilities like you might not bust uh, although you know james wiseman may put may put that one to the test but uh we'll see it he's obviously he's been injured has had a, a rough go of things to to start as well so yeah my thought on that still is i don't want to overreact to how bigs have played again i would exclude Giannis from from that uh you know i think Embiid, the way that he played and some of the issues that he ran into admittedly not in a very well-spaced system was perhaps an argument of why it was you don't want to go too crazy why it is really hard for a center to be your best player and and win a championship i would say that what happened to Jokic defensively in the blazers and sun series is also an argument for that what happened to rudy gobert in the clippers series is an argument against it and i thought that Eaton, while he played well, the Clippers, if they had Kawhi, I think they still would have really caused problems for him. I think the Nets would have really caused problems uh, as well. So I, you know, I, I would caution because this has been such a weird playoffs with so many guys being injured. I would caution against making too many conclusions from these playoffs and, uh, it's changed my philosophy maybe a little bit, but not that much. And certainly with the idea of like building your team around the center. Now, 
the other question is he said significant draft capital so are we talking about a top five pick i mean there are 30 teams and you're trying to make the playoffs and you're trying to be good like the denver nuggets don't regret having Nikola Jokic the Sixers don't regret having Joel Embiid because it's not like you could just snap your fingers and get an equivalent player on the wing anyway you got to get the stars that you can get yeah that's that's exactly it that's why like there are points in the draft where it makes sense to to take a big or especially you know if you see a tier and and it's kind of a drop off to the next tier yeah sure sure it makes sense to take a center I mean obviously you want to the especially once you get out of the top, say, 10 picks or so, the risk of the guy sucking is greater than the risk of the guy, oh, like, oh, no, being the wrong position. Like, like you, can, you can fix that if you have somebody good. You can make a trade. But if you draft a guy who can't play, you just, you just burn an asset. Yeah, to me, I all else being equal, yeah, I would go for a guard or a wing probably. But uh, it's not always equal, right? Like, if you're going to say uh, Evan Mobley versus... Uh, say Jonathan Kaminga, right? I, I haven't looked at m- many guys below the top six, but I, I'm going to have Mobley higher on my board than Kaminga, even though Kaminga is a wing because I think you know I just like Mobley's uh, overall skill set yeah. better. I think he just has a better chance of, of success. Hey, check out Spotify Green Room. John and I are on there at two Eastern, eleven Pacific every Wednesday. We do our podcast, and then we take listener speaker requests. After that, you can actually get in and talk to us. It's like sports radio, but the people are actually smart which is a lot of fun and you don't have to wait on hold forever with your local radio station danny larue and i also do a room every week six eastern three pacific on tuesdays you can follow me at nate duncan nba download that free green room app currently available on all ios devices and we'll see you there every week you all have heard me wax poetic many a time about theragun now and if you're trying to get back in shape after the pandemic maybe you're getting back out to the gym again maybe you're getting out on the basketball court again and you realize oh wow i got this like huge knot that's not going away my back is sore your wife is laughing at you as she walks by because you're an old man that just happened to me as i was recording this ad theragun can help alleviate some of your issues get rid of those adhesions get those muscles lithe and supple once more i've tried some of the knockoff brands you've probably seen those all over the place they're not as good as theragun it gets deeper it breaks up those adhesions it's helped me get back out on the basketball court it's helped me particularly with my upper body workouts get rid of some neck and shoulder soreness get out there so i can really attack my workouts again so feel better naturally treat your pain and get back to your life try theragun risk-free for 30 days or your money back by going to theragun.com slash per easy remember slash per because john invented it for a limited time listeners to this podcast get a free charging stand with purchase a 79 dollar value that is theragun.com slash per theragun.com slash per all right, let's uh, let's take another question here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Ily Weiss asks, you guys often say it's easier to make big trades in the off season. I sometimes disagree. Uh, to trade for a player like Kemba Walker, it's easier to have more neutral or overpaid players signed who can then be aggregated after December 15th. Am I wrong? Um, so the reason I say that, one of the issues with making trades in season is that especially if you do a three for one or four for one, the receiving team almost always has to cut players in order to make it work. And that can make it very tricky uh, depending on the team you're dealing with. They're often very reluctant to to waive players, especially guaranteed players or maybe younger players 
players that they like in order to accommodate a trade, even though even though realistically, if you step back to 10,000 feet, it's like, look, these players you're going to cut don't matter and you really shouldn't be stressing this. But it, it I mean, having been on the other end of the phone for these, like it, it definitely becomes an issue. And, and so that's one of the obstacles. And then the other thing about offseason trades, there's more teams with cap room. And so you can absorb contracts into deals that way. And usually by the time you get to the beginning of the season, everybody, certainly everybody who's trying to win has used all their cap room. And so that means of taking in contracts into trades just doesn't exist anymore. So so teams told you that uh, it was because they didn't want to cut young players that they wouldn't take Chandler Parsons. That was, that was the excuse <laughs> they gave you. <laughs> I, I can't go out tonight. I, I got to wash my hair. Is that, that type of an excuse? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, you know, there is another thing, actually, with making trades in the offseason, and particularly at the draft. When you put a draft pick into a trade in season, you don't know exactly what number it's going to be. Uh, but when you do it uh, ahead of the draft, you know exactly what number, and so it's easier for both sides to value it. Yeah, I would also say that generally during uh, during the off season, you just have more teams are deluding themselves into the, the idea that they would have a chance that year. Whereas once you get to the trade deadline, it seems like there just aren't as many suitors. Yeah, cer- certainly. So. Yeah, yeah. The acceptance of reality is def- is definitely a factor for trade deadline trades, uh, yeah. which may- which can be can be for good and bad, right? Well, I think you just also generally get more for guys in the off season. Uh, be uh, again because you have a whole season of the guy if he's an expiring contract, say, uh, and also because there probably is more competition. And you know, for those who don't know, by the way, in the off season you get twenty roster spots, and obviously you get fifteen once the season has started. So I, I mean, I think there are. Certain Certainly times when you could get more for a guy in during the season, but generally I think the the trend has been that it's been during the uh, during the off season. What do you get more? Um, okay, let's see here. Next one, uh, Francis Max. This is a pretty simple one. We can take. Yeah. I want to ask why would players like Batum or Drummond care how much they would make in their next contract as those would be set off anyway? And the answer to that is it matters if it's in one of the seasons where their old contract was still going right. Like it, would, it gets set off. Not entirely set off, by the way, but set, yeah, set off. Yeah, they, 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 st- they still get yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But go, go ahead. Um, but, but but also, you know, if, yeah, they've been way, like Batum got stretched, for example, and yes, he is not getting his money from that year until later years. It's spread out over three years. But you don't get to set off because that contract initially was allocated to the 2021 season. If he signs a new contract in 21-22, that doesn't set off anymore. So uh, that's going to be all new money to those guys once you get beyond what the original term of the contract was yeah exactly exactly so uh you know we had an all-timer very quietly of of set off with uh avery bradley last that last year in memphis that 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 partially guaranteed year that uh that they they ended up waving after i left and then he signed for the mid-level someplace so like memphis ended up owing him very little off that contract fun times (laughs) all right what we got next here uh, Drew Sokol asks, what skill sets do you think are undervalued in the league right now? And what free agents this year might be undervalued as a result? Uh, I think the things that Danny Green does are undervalued, all of them. And so I would say Danny Green. Um, but, but basically <laughs> what, what, what you summarize that as is, 
Um, right, the defense I think is still undervalued. Um, the the ability to play as a low usage wing and and not hurt a team at either end and be like like two way viability I think gets a little undervalued still. Um, yeah, a, then, a a lack of weaknesses overall. A lack I of think. weaknesses and uh, I think yeah and abilities beyond scoring I think get undervalued basically. I think the league overvalues scoring. Yeah, so I've I've said that about the the weaknesses. You know, I, I think that overall teams do a much much better job of valuing guys. I wouldn't say maybe it's not necessarily a skill set, but I do think there's just something to pedigree that still anchors. For example, like oh, Rashawn Holmes to me is an example of this, right? Where he is a, a guy who I have him ranked easily as the top center in free agency. He's only 27, and you know, I just I have this feeling that he's not going to get paid as much as you know say Andre Drummond is going to in free agency even though I think Holmes is a way way better player than Andre Drummond just because Drummond you know is coming off a max contract and he was a a high pick and a a big name and he got all-star benched in game six sorry all-star multiple times all-star Andre Drummond so I I think pedigree can get into it a a little bit I don't like who are some of the like free agent guys that you feel are kind of underrated i i don't i mean maybe we'll find out in when certain guys get more or less than we would have thought but or or even just examples of guys you think have gotten too little um uh, over the years yeah i mean i'm you know danny green would probably be my my main one i'm really interested to see what alex caruso gets like i i, yeah, I you've you, always, you said before guard defense is is uh underrated yeah yeah I, I i think i think guards who can defend are tend to get really underrated uh so so that's 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 definitely one for me I th- i'd say alex caruso would be probably the prime example in this in in this free agent class. I mean, you know, Kyle Lowry too, I guess, except he's a known quantity now. So I don't think he gets undervalued the same way. Yeah. But I do think, and it depends too. I think scheme versatility, maybe defensively is something, you know, the ability to switch. If you're a guard, the ability to switch it. If you're a center, Yeah, uh, I think just to, to overall guard your man, but uh, so, but I, I think the league's doing a pretty decent job these days. Uh, and yes. you know, I, I think at the team level, teams may still undervalue spacing a little bit, like say the New Orleans Pelicans, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still there's still the mentality. I think that we have. To, I have to look down my bench and see somebody who's seven feet tall, and you still see that driving some decisions. Um, so I, I still think teams are guilty of over-investing in the center position. I know I went on a big screed about it during free agency last year, and I think a lot of these centers ended up, like, these teams end up really regretting it. Like, you know, you know Tristan Thompson, obviously, is the main example, but, like, you know, even, that like, these deals, you know, for Aaron Baines and Serge Ibaka and, like, Montrez Harrell, like, what, what do they got? What do they have to show for those, you know? Trading two seconds for JaVale McGee, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, uh, maybe something else that's uh, underrated is uh, when you're – "Quote unquote power forward who should be playing center is actually willing to play center. That, that's, maybe, maybe that's underrated. That is under, okay. That that is a good one. I like that. 
Well, Giannis has been willing to play center. I think that's really helped them uh, a lot here. Um, let's get to this Andrew Brotherton, a Hawks question. Your uh, your local team, you've written plenty about them with your colleague Chris Kirshner yes. as well. Uh, do you see the Hawks making a major move this offseason? Yeah, so here's the thing. They, they definitely are in a position where they could do something like that. They have seven or eight pretty good players. They have all their draft picks. Like that, they, they have a lot of stuff they could put into a trade. What are they trading for? I think is the real question. Like, who's that guy that's out there where you say, "Man, if that guy was just on Atlanta, man, they would they'd just be hell on wheels." Like, who who is that guy? Um, you know, because like the your first instinct is like Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard, but it's like they're you know they're just going to be watching Trey or playing a lot of my turn, your turn. Like a like a really good forward, I think would be would be the thing that would really lift them up another level but you know who's that guy, guy who's out can there score. right now yeah 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 who's who's that guy that's out there right now that they, they they have all the pieces to make a consolidation trade but that the the actual trade isn't really out there for them yeah and i think they want to just see what cam reddish and deandre hunter can do when they're healthy as well yeah i i, I personally would more want to see the hunter part of that but <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll see how it goes this coming year, but I you you do wonder like at some point you know situations change because they always do. At some point, someone will become available who is like you know six eight and an all star caliber player. And at that point, I think if you're Atlanta, you really gotta push chips in and try hard to get that guy. Yeah, I I, th- I think so. Like they've one thing that I've thought about is the idea of potentially trading Capella for them and just rolling with the Kongu. But maybe maybe you're still a year away from doing that. That yeah, I I think so. It's going to be really interesting because so Capella's got two years left on his deal. Uh, at the end of next year, do you extend Capella at that point or do you feel okay going forward with Okongwu? I think that's a that's a little bit of a fork in the road for the Hawks if Okongwu can develop. But the first thing you have to see you have to be comfortable with him as like a top 10 center in the east before you go that route because otherwise you're probably hurting yourself well yeah i mean capella like i thought he struggled a lot offensively this year in the playoffs and i think that's always only going to continue as he loses some athleticism but man in the regular season was he good defensively and he was fantastic in that Knicks series as well i mean he's still a very good defensive center and they're kind of reliant on him to be their defense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he 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 is their defense basically, especially when Hunter yeah. is out. So, uh all right, why don't you pick one here? <laughs> um yeah, all right. Well, I mean, here's the operative question for the Mavs from Dustin Deets 18. Is it better for the Mavs long term to keep Przingis or trade him this offseason? I mean, that that's a huge existential question for Dallas that Nico Harrison is watching walking into, right? Yeah, and, and to me, I think they're I don't see a trade out there that makes them better for next year that would involve holding on to Porzingis but on the other hand are you going to try to now pin your hopes on 2022 free agency because they're not going anywhere unless they get another player who's better than Porzingis they're not going to have cap space if they still have Porzingis on the roster in 2022 now certainly many a Dallas dream has been dashed in free agency but they also now uh, have a young star and maybe if they are hearing something that someone might want to come there in 2022 would you consider just approaching san antonio and saying hey do you 
you guys like foreign guys? Would you be interested in in Kristaps Porzingis? You know, a, a trade like that. Uh, I don't know if you heard. Actually, the uh, the Knicks have have plenty of cap space. Uh, <laughs> Porzingis to the Knicks. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that would be a like great honestly, press honestly, his his skill set wouldn't be a bad fit there at all. I mean, obviously, they're not going to do it because they have their own free agency aspirations, and you know, it didn't work out too well last time there. Yeah, but uh, that sort of player actually would be a great fit with Julius Randle. But uh, what about, we saw what about, they had uh, no spacing. Let's uh, yeah. unif- unify our last two questions. What about Porzingis in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, sure, if you could rely on him health-wise, but it's uh, I, I think may- maybe that happens after Atlanta takes this step back that they're going to take next year, and they feel like okay, we've we've shown that that Trey Young is this guy, but we still need to find a way to get a second star in here. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to depend a little on what happens with John Collins this offseason too. Indeed, yeah. What, what do you see happening there? Uh, you know, it feels it feels a little stalematey right now. I just don't know who the team is that's going to fork out the max for him. Like, I mean, if it's not San Antonio, I can't see who else it would be. Am I, yeah, am I miss, there were am I missing something here. I don't I don't see the Knicks being like starry eyed over him, and uh, you know, these other teams don't really have enough room. I don't think Oklahoma City's going to use their room yet. So, like, who's who's the team? Yeah, it, it does seem that that it could be difficult. I mean, I I see it kind of settling as five years at a little less than the max something along those lines do you think that's too high uh i i sort of i have like i think he gets less than the max but not dramatically less like i i sort of had in my head like four years 100 or four years 110 i i don't think i i think he i think he would want to get back out in free agency in his mid-20s so i i could see him even going shorter than that rather than going longer yeah, maybe so. I it, teams that just made it to the conference finals on a surprise they usually tend to take care of people. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we'll definitely, see. definitely. Um, okay, here's a good one. Okay. I just have to actually find it first. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, how do you see NCAA endorsement deals, the name, image, and likeness, uh, affecting the NBA? I'm not sure it's going to affect the NBA that much because I'm not sure the money on these deals is going to end up being that big for for most guys. But let let me put it this way: for for the type of guy who ends up being the 37th pick in the draft, I don't think name, image, likeness is gonna is gonna be that much of a difference maker. I do think it's going to make a difference actually for some of these aspirations that the G League has and like the Australian next stars uh, and this overtime elite league where now college can go back in and compete against this idea of paying these kids 100k or 200k or whatever if they can do a name image likeness deal and still get them to go to you know duke or carolina or virginia or whatever so i i do think it's gonna it's gonna make things more difficult for these programs that are just trying to get off the ground themselves uh you know like with the g G league elite like if you're if you're jalen green or you know isaiah todd who maybe wasn't even that seen as that huge a prospect is 100k from the g league gonna swing you when you could get 100k by going to michigan too so that that's where i think it gets really interesting i don't know the answer but i suspect it'll make it harder for for the g league elite program isn't the g league elite playing paying more to at least at least the top guys right like they're playing like 500k or more for some of these top yeah so i you know i don't think even i don't think we know enough about the name and the nil market to know what's like what's the comparison what can these guys realistically make in in endorsements from you know for being a college one and done yeah you i mean you wonder like i 
let, let's I mean let's take some just like guys from out of the past right Zion Williamson is there any way that it would have made financial sense for Zion Williamson where you know I mean he could maybe be getting the same shoe deal if not a, even potentially a better one with if he stays at Duke for his sophomore season than if he uh goes into the pros that's now that's that's where also get, pushing yeah yeah that's where it could get really interesting on guys stay stay go decisions too yeah yeah, that, yeah that's kind of what i think where i think it makes the biggest difference now, so there's that there's that model of just like you could stick around and make, like is there a way that someone staying in college would have more visibility and would be worth more to a shoe company or i mean shoe companies the ones that give the then you run into issues obviously with like the school having a contract <laughs> etc as well but uh you know that'll be something that has to get worked out so there's there's that type of player i don't think that that sort of player would want to stay in because you need to get into the nba start the clock ticking on your next contract and get to that max you know start making 25 30 million dollars a year in salary as soon as possible i don't think that there's there's any endorsement deal in college that's going to override that you know the lure yeah. of getting that starting when you're 22 instead of when you're 24 or 25 you know that's yeah. that's huge right that's that's a hundred million dollars probably you know if you have if you're getting that money earlier um yeah so, probably so matters probably matters most for like a luca garza type who's you know an awesome college player who's probably yeah. not going to be that good in the nba yeah like adam, adam morrison although adam morrison was the number three overall pick i'm sure <laughs> he he was of the opinion that he was having a, a, a great career you know maybe jj reddick would have been someone he i mean he stayed all four years anyway but someone along those lines where they weren't that highly rated of a recruit they sort of just or maybe like Corey kispert someone someone like that uh i think it was a senior anyway but like yeah. you know so someone that that level of prospect as like and maybe it's guys who are like a junior you know and so like they've built up a lot of national profile in college they've been on a team that like almost got to the final four or, or almost won the championship and they uh they're very close to graduating they want to stick around they've sort of like become big man on campus over three years and hey you know what like is a million dollars for being the 27th pick like what does that matter you know but even those guys you're like well you want to start the clock a little faster on your potential second contract because you're getting in the league at 22 you get you only have one chance to cash in so i don't know i think it all just depends how much money is really going to be out there for this name image uh, and likeness stuff and some of that stuff it's like you're either getting that you can still get that when you're in the pros too right like if it's like something where you just have a big instagram following or whatever you know it's not like you're not getting that money when you get into the pros from endorsements as well it would yeah, have to true. be you yeah it would have to be you are more valuable to us because you are in college at duke than you are being the 27th pick for the thunder which i could see that being the case for certain guys yeah absolutely uh i don't you know for those back in the day remember like rex chapman at kentucky would be a perfect example i think where he was just so unbelievably popular there and he was a good nba player but like it wasn't it wasn't the same thing you know people weren't flocking in the streets of washington to see him you know play for the bullets <laughs> I don't think anyone has, has ever flocked to the streets of Washington to see anyone play for the, the local basketball team. Um, maybe Earl Monroe would, was was the last guy they had. And Gilbert Arenas was pretty good, but I, they, for whatever reason, they've never then, really resonated in that market. And, maybe, and Earl, maybe Earl, reason, Earl was Baltimore, wasn't he? You know what? He might have been, yeah. Uh, I can't remember when they moved from Baltimore to, to Washington. Um, yeah, but I, I guess it, maybe the reason is that they you know haven't won 50 games since the 70s. That might actually be a reason why <laughs> nobody's cared that much about the Washington Bullets slash Wizards. If the last year has taught us 
anything it's that we don't really need bricks and mortar stores anymore going to your local auto parts store really was not a good experience to begin with in that front area they never really had anything other than just totally generic stuff and then you would go to that desk you probably had to wait in line while the one person who was there at the counter tried to find the part the person in front of you wanted and then finally when you got up there you would ask for your part and they'd say oh yeah we can order that it'll be here in two weeks well great i could have just stayed at home and used rock auto com got my part faster and saved a bunch of money change stores at different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low so go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car and truck you just put your make and model in there right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Uh, okay, next question here. Man, so, like, I got all these... Uh, we got Philly fans who want to trade for Kemba Walker for some reason. Um, people asking about Kemba for Simmons packages, Kemba for Tobias Harris. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I don't really... I guess... Do you think Kemba would help the Sixers? Let me let me, let me, me start there. Like, even, even setting aside what the money would be. Yes. Yes, he, he would help them, but you would rather that he weren't making $36 million a year to do it. Like, would they be a better team with him? Maybe. And, it, you know, I think part of Kemba's problem is he struggles to beat switches. He's still good in pick and roll. Well, you're not going to switch with Joel Embiid. So you're probably, uh, he could be good there. But he also, we don't know what his health situation is either. I wouldn't want to necessarily count on that right now. Maybe if he makes it through half a year in OKC and is looking good, then you can feel better about that. But I, I think, I mean, I would probably rather just hold on to Simmons. Also, I don't think OKC wants Simmons, right? I, I, this conception would be OKC yeah. gives up a bunch of assets uh, as well. I don't think they really are at the point where they would want to do that particularly. And so maybe then if you're the Sixers, you can flip those assets for, for more stuff. Harris for Walker is a little more interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, from Philadelphia's end, I, Kemba would have to be on another team first, right? Like Oklahoma City is clearly not doing that uh, with you know yeah. with these years left on Tobias's deal. But if Kemba ended up somewhere else and that team traded him for Tobias, that gets sort of interesting. Or, or if it was a three-way trade, obviously. That that gets a little interesting. I mean, Tobias Harris was good last year. I, I, you know, I don't think we should dismiss him, but the the in terms of fit and everything there, like have, having a guard who can create has been the big glaring need in, in Philly, uh, you know, re- really the whole time, except for, except for the one year they had Jimmy Butler. Yeah, and just like both 
to me, Simmons and Harris are both kind of weird fits around Embiid. Uh, and I think once Simmons is gone, you might want a little bit better at defense at that position. Um, or maybe even a little, someone a little more focused on shooting. Presumably, you're bringing back in a, a pick and roll guy. And, you know, having Harris as your third best guy, it's just kind of, he just can, can get lost a little bit, maybe as your third highest usage guy, and maybe doesn't give you enough defensively. So he's not a great fit. That's why I wasn't a huge fan of trading for him. Uh, knowing that you would have to give him basically a, a max contract. Um, all right, here's an interesting one. Uh, at NFL Film Analysis, how do you quantify the value of what he terms low efficiency players like Westbrook and Kobe? Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily feel that way about Kobe for his time. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because you're you're not really operating on a linear scale at some point because what they do is raise the, raise your floor and lower your ceiling at the same time, and so it's it's a different kind of evaluation because of that where you where you, you know so you know like Westbrook was good for the Wizards in a lot of ways I mean they got they got to the playoffs I think in the second half of the year he was a big part of why but there's just like there's only so far that that approach can take you uh and but but at the same time that's what like nobody's saying he's one of the 10 best players in the league at least right now right so I don't I don't know maybe maybe yeah. we do sort of have him fairly valued from that perspective but I just it's 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 hard to win big with him even on your team like it's easy to win some but it's hard to win big with because the percentages just start working against you so i think it it depends which westbrook you're talking about as well for me i would look at how well is the overall offense performing not necessarily his individual stats because if he's setting guys up if he's just is taking all of the bad shots that every offense has to take if he if he's taking those and then also the overall holistic view of things he was on some very good offenses in oklahoma city i would give kevin durant more credit for that than i would him but it's also worth noting that other than he and kd they had almost no shooting around him they were always playing a a center they always had a robertson or a cephalosha next to him as well and so it was pretty impressive that those offenses were still some of the best in the league at that time now that was a different Westbrook you know I think after 2017 really his athleticism yeah fell off. that's that and that's sort of the guy I'm talking about um now, now there is the argument that that you know even even before then that the the secondary guys playing around him looked the way they did because they didn't they couldn't really do they didn't have the opportunity to do anything else uh you know Demonte Sabonis the guy that always comes up uh you know jeremy lamb maybe too where where they just didn't they they didn't get a chance to do anything with the ball in their hands because they were just you know watching the rush show yeah that's true i mean the demontis sabonis stretch four maybe wasn't uh, that was uh, an era yeah or or victor oladipo uh, as well i think could have could have done more for them uh yeah. but they you know they also didn't have a, a much shooting around him at, at that point either uh but i think you just you have to look at the overall team performance on offense and you have to look at the context as well i mean really the only time that russ has played on a team that's had a good amount of shooting was that two-month stretch essentially and was healthy was that two-month stretch with the rockets when he was killing everybody and, and he himself was uh, pretty efficient now you might say even while he was efficient their overall offense wasn't that great they would have been better putting it in Harden's hand and I I get that and I also think you have to look at the fit as well especially now that he can't make any kind of a jump shot anymore to where if you have another playmaker not having to guard him is going to mess things up for him so I think yeah I I would say that Westbrook 
in his absolute heyday maybe even was underrated at times but since he's gotten to the point where you know just bashing his head through the wall in the paint doesn't work anymore because he doesn't have the same level of athleticism and he can't even remotely hit a jump shot anymore even a mid-ranger now he's a, a real liability um and then kobe those playoff offenses were all really good i mean those are those like uh 08 09 10 lakers teams were really really good playoff offenses and he, his style of scoring was very resilient in the playoffs as well there wasn't he may not have been the absolute most efficient regular season guy but the shots that he was creating unless you're going to straight double team him 20 feet from the basket you couldn't really actually like stop those plays and he was very resilient in the playoffs so i think uh his as a playoff you know is he a top 10 all-time player to me no but i think his i wouldn't characterize him as low efficiency uh, at all particularly for the time i think it would be very interesting to see what kobe would have looked like now would he have been able to be more efficient or create more shots or would he still have taken some of those same shots where hey when the league average true shooting is 53 percent and you've got 57 percent true shooting on those really difficult shots you're a lot more valuable than when the league average true shooting is 57 percent and are you still taking those same shots or is he able to get more efficient i think he could have got more efficient we started to see that actually in the 12-13 season the first uh d'antoni season where you saw him actually playing spread pick and roll for the first time yeah and I think it looked he, really good and then obviously he tore his achilles i think he could have gotten downhill very easily of the way the game is played now um and he just he had to rely on different things because that's what was available to him in that era yeah yeah, I mean, he basically never play, got a chance to play spread, pick, and roll. And there's there's a big controversy of, like, are they going to play Gasol and Dwight together? And D'Antonio's like, no, nah, we need to bring Gasol off the bench and play spread, pick, and roll with Dwight. And that, I mean, it worked pretty well once they finally got that together that year. But then uh, we never got to see it beyond that point. Uh, next question here. Have you watched uh, much of these uh, Olympic games? Uh, not Olympics, these uh, US Team USA games? No, I've been trying to catch up on, on draft film. I think I'm probably glad that I haven't watched them <laughs> because I'm, I am I think it would have uh, driven me a little insane, but yeah. There, there's a question here from uh, Baz Mantis. Do NBA scouts pay a lot of attention to the Olympics when looking for international talent or international leagues a better place for scouting? I would say in general, they pay more attention to international leagues, but... There are some times when you get to see a guy away from his team, especially if he doesn't play much, that you are way more interested in seeing how he plays on his national team. Um, Certainly, Josh Giddy is playing for Australia right now. He got some extended run last night. Scouts are playing, paying very close attention to him since he's going to be in the draft this year. Um, more generally, uh, I would say scouts pay less attention to the Olympics and much more attention to youth age tournaments, uh, U19, U18, U17 tournaments, uh, where the best uh, underage players from each country meet. Um, you know, I think uh, you know a lot of scouts like go back even in this draft, go back and look at the USA's. I think it was U19 team in 2019, maybe uh, that had Cade Cunningham, yeah. Jalen Green. Uh, you know, a lot of the top guys, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, on that team. I think, was on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing against Turkey with Alper and Shengun, you know, playing against some of these other uh, high-level foreign teams too, and and they're still using that in their in their evaluations because it's a, it it is a great way to see them in a different structure in a in a different light maybe, and sometimes it's your only chance to see them honestly if you're if if they're not able to get minutes on the you know some of these guys who are like 18 years old playing for FC Barcelona, you know, it's like trying to scout Kaiser Sose, like you just never see the guy so. 
there's a there's a great opportunity that way too. Yeah, like Dragon Bender, his star rose a, a lot due to what he was doing with the uh, Croatian uh, under nineteen team uh, is an, yeah. an example there. But yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good players. Uh, Rudy Gobert, I, you know, played with the French under twenty national team, and well, uh, you know, I mean, we, yeah. we saw that Victor Wembanyama just recently yeah. in the U nineteen final was awesome. And uh, Lu- Luca, you know, with Slovenia uh, the year before he was drafted when they won Eurobasket. Uh, you know, to, for another example. Yeah, although he, he kind of had his run of the place at, at Real Madrid anyway. As, as yeah, 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 um, yeah. Um, okay, let's see here. Trevor Norlander, the best value contract of someone making less than $20 million a year that's not on a rookie deal. Ooh. So you can can throw out a few candidates here, uh, unless anyone comes to mind for you right away. Uh, wait, no, you can you can throw out a few. I got I, I got one or two I'm thinking of, but I'm I'm sure there are guys I'm not thinking of. So I'm interested to see, hear your names. Well, let's see. I'm just kind of going through th- throw some guys out. Uh, Marcus Smart would be one. Larry Nance. Larry Nance is a good one. That's a good contract. Because uh, Cap- he, I think he's even under ten million. Yeah, Clint Capella was yeah. the first guy I thought of. Yeah, they got a pretty good deal on him. The the Rockets did back in the the summer of twenty eighteen. I think Sabonis is actually making less than twenty million. Yes, he uh, is. So is yeah. Miles Turner. Uh, so is for the um, moment uh, T.J. Yeah. Warren twelve point nine next year. Yeah, I mean, if he, he has to actually he, play though. Yeah, but if he comes back as anything, you know, remotely remember resembling no, what agree. it was. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, your guy Dylan Brooks. How about him? Well, he's. I mean, is that technically a rookie deal, second rounder? No, he extended. Oh, his extension. I see. He's, I would. I mean. Yeah, he's making like ten million. Would you? Do you like that contract better, or Kyle Anderson's, or D'Anthony Melton's? They, they got a couple in that 8-10 to 10 range. <laughs> oh, I, th- I think Brooks is the, the most valuable player of those. Now, Brooks didn't have the most efficient regular season, so I don't want to overreact to his playoffs. Um, yeah. I always I wonder if he could be more efficient in a smaller role, both uh, whether he could be more efficient and whether he could accept a smaller role yeah. <laughs> offensively. Yeah. He's the, he takes a few shots. Uh, Derek Rose actually was a very good value yeah. uh, on his contract. Yeah, I agree with that. Can't complain about that one. Uh, well, actually, I mean, uh, Julius Randle would probably be your answer for last year. He was making less, a little bit less than $20 million. That's That's probably your answer for, for last year. Uh, did you, uh, did you say Zach Levine? Uh, no, I, yeah, I guess Levine and Randall would, would probably yeah. be. Those yeah. are probably the two highest stature guys making less than twenty million on a non-rookie contract. Yeah, unless Ni- nineteen and a half anyone. for Levine, just just under the wire. Yeah. How about uh, Howell Neto? Just because you wanted to crap on him <laughs> last week, we, we could at least say he's on a minimum. Hey, he's starting. He's a, starting in the playoffs on a minimum. That's that's a good minimum right there. Yeah, you know it was a hell of a contract. <laughs> Actually, they, they had two hell of contracts. Uh, they're starting to fade a little bit. Uh, Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, you, Nurkic, uh, he was pretty valuable, it turned out, in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, going back to that question that we had about the value of centers, I think we are finding that, Phoenix is finding this out right now, that for teams where you are going to rely on a center, you yeah. got to have some kind of a backup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I'm really like interested. you wrote about this with yeah. Seth. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. They, yeah. Aiton's just become this hugely important guy because they just have nothing backing him up. So 
Really, we're recording this ahead of Game Four. I'm really interested to see what smoke and mirrors Monty Williams might try in the non-Aiton minutes. Yeah, though so there's also the possibility of playing Aiton as well. But yeah, I do think this is leading to because they have like you know how would Phoenix look if they just had like a normal backup center who could you know give you a few minutes on Giannis? Now I don't know if those are particularly widespread necessarily, uh, but I mean that's part of why. Aiton has been so important is just because they have no replacement for him but yeah it's kind of hard to find a replacement for what he's doing as well if we're being fair so yeah completely agree okay let's do uh let's see if we can roll through a lightning round here uh had Giannis not signed the extension and teamed up with Luca in Dallas what would you put the over under on championships I would say I would be between either 1.5 or 2.5 that was right about where I was headed to I mean winning a championship still takes a lot you know so but you would think I mean, they would just ask the Nets or the Lakers or yeah. the Clippers or the Jazz this year. Yeah, exactly. So Or the twenty nineteen Warriors. Yeah, or the or the yeah, or the twenty nineteen Bucks. So I but I mean having those two together, I mean that's such a lethal combination where where they could play off of each other because of their skill sets and th- and that's where it really gets scary. So yeah, I would I I would set the I would set the over under at two and you know it, it would see probably be seen as a little disappointing if they only got one but you would you probably wouldn't go ahead and say they were going to get three i mean how many i mean how many how many did even uh, LeBron? How many did LeBron get in Miami? Was that two or three? Two. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was two? only two. Yeah, the, that 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 whole thing yeah. was a blur for me because I was in Memphis, so I wasn't I wasn't really paying as much attention to yeah. like the finals. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard it's hard to go predict more than two championships for any team that gets assembled, right? I mean, like the Thunder in 2012, they get to the finals, they got that incredible core. You'd be like, oh yeah, they're gonna win two championships. No, they actually yeah. won zero, right? And and yeah. I mean even even the Warriors adding Kevin Durant to a 73 win team they got two and you know we're very close to only getting one uh, and you know part of that was they could have managed the team around them a little bit better but uh, I mean injuries are just gonna happen right I mean I think you even if you have the most powerful group together you've probably got you know a one in three chance that in any given year you're just going to be so debilitated by injuries that it's just not going to yeah. work that year yeah exactly exactly it's hard because 30 teams only one of them wins it so uh here's an interesting one uh charlie asks I, I think this is directed at me do you still believe that Giannis should have left milwaukee as you said when the heat eliminated the bucks last summer i think i i said that he shouldn't sign the extension if his goal like I, i'm not trying to get its own side but my statement was that if his goal was to win as many championships as possible staying with the bucks wasn't the best idea now he may well win a championship this year but i also think that given all of the injuries and what it's took for them to get there and that they truly were not a better team than brooklyn and who knows what it would have happened against a, a better eastern conference finals uh, opponent now Giannis is playing exceedingly well against the suns but i don't think that you know drew holiday chris middleton have shown like oh those guys were so good like he absolutely should have stuck around like if they do win the championship this year i i think it would be outcome-based decision making to say well yeah you made the right decision to stay you can only assess that based on the facts at the time now he also clearly loves milwaukee and loves being with his teammates and you know you can't quantify that aspect so i was speaking solely as how are you going to win the most championships if 
that's what you want to do, then you know I probably would have gone to Dallas yeah. to get that uh, 1.5 over under <laughs> championship. Would you, would you agree with me that this is the best shot Milwaukee will ever have? Oh yeah, I think it, I think that is more likely than not for sure. I, I, as soon as the second round ended, that was the first thing I thought was just it, it will never be more lined up for them, more on a silver platter for them, you know. And having having their three best players all in their prime like this, like this, the, this is it right here for, for them as 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 far as winning this goes. And I think you can say the same thing for Chris Paul, and and I think that is one of the things that makes this finals compelling, even if it's not. Uh, uh, you know, maybe the highest, highest level of, of just matchup uh, is that is this sense of like this fleeting moment in time for Giannis or CP to grab one. No, I, I think so. Actually, this is one thing I wanted to talk about with you. Giannis, you know, wasn't even that great in the Miami series offensively in terms of his efficiency. Struggled a lot of times. It came on, but struggled a fair amount, particularly early in the Brooklyn series. Uh why is he having his best series now against the Suns when he wasn't able to be that good in the Brooklyn series when the Suns, in theory, have better personnel against him? Yeah, that is interesting, right? Um, you almost wonder if the injury helped the rest of his body. I mean, is, is that a is, is that just me reaching for a hypothesis because I have I have data that I have to explain? Uh, possibly, but <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I also. You know, against Miami two years ago, against or against Miami a year ago, against Toronto two years ago, he also you know wasn't at the same level of effectiveness that he's been in the regular season. So why is it happening now against the Suns? I I kind of think that the Suns just haven't had the right approach against him. I mean, it, he's obviously been great, but they haven't really been showing him that wall. They haven't been forcing the Bucks to beat them from the outside. They haven't been digging in and forcing yeah. turnovers on him. Um, so despite the fact that they've been a really good defensive team, I think they're a better defensive team than anybody else that they've faced in these playoffs. He still has had the most success against them. It's really, uh, I don't, it's difficult for me to explain. Yeah. You know, he's, he's gotten a lot of mileage out of duck-ins these last two games, which you never really saw do much before. So I don't know, maybe he, maybe they're using him a little bit better. Yeah. Well, after two back-to-back unbelievable finals games, Giannis Antetokounmpo is none other than the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Bucks fans have certainly enjoyed back-to-back 40 and 10 games with only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. You can enjoy Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. So I actually just watched another masterclass last night. Gordon Ramsay's cooking classes have been incredibly enjoyable. He's so enthusiastic, much nicer than he is on Kitchen Nightmares as well. My wife has also really enjoyed masterclass. She's gotten so much out of their writing classes, including uh, Margaret Atwood, who she found really, really helpful. Of course, you've got Steph Curry on shooting and ball handling. You've got Serena Williams on tennis. Whether it's on your phone, on desktop, or your smart TV, you can access hundreds of video lessons from 100 plus of today's most brilliant minds available anytime, anywhere. I highly recommend checking out Masterclass. You can get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And as a Hollinger Duncan listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash PER. He's a member slash PER because John invented it. That's masterclass.com slash PER for 15% off Masterclass. Don't forget that slash PER URL to let them know that you came from us. Uh, Okay, let's do one more question here and then we'll get into the speaker requests on Spotify Green Room. Anything that sticks out to you that you... Yeah, yeah. 
wanted so to we, talk about here? Yeah, we have a question from Ely Weiss that I think is something we should address. Because um, pe- is basically asking, people talk about C.J. McCollum's or Ben Simmons all the time. You know, why wouldn't Portland do this? What you know, what are what are the implications here? Basically, uh, what what is the reason for Portland to not do this? Um, it's a really interesting trade. I think that's a pretty good trade for Portland. The the one thing that holds you back a little is that if Simmons wants to play with the ball in his hands, that ain't happening in Portland, right? It's it's going to be in Lillard. Well, I, I don't based on uh, based on Game Seven. I I, I don't think he does. <laughs> well, if he wants to play <laughs> the first three quarters of the game with the ball in his hands. <laughs> Well, so I, I think he could take on a Draymond type of role for them right. as the grab-and-go guy, cut across the face of the defense, hand off to Lillard. Um, you know, I think he'd be a very good short role guy yeah. playing with Lillard as well. You, I guess you could perhaps obviate that by trying to just switch those actions potentially and then you're still going to likely have a big center on the floor with Simmons as well you know I just I think it's worth trying because just the CJ and Dame thing I think has kind of run its course this one I I was one saying don't break them up don't break them up for a while you have the the seeds of a good offense there but I think I finally gotten to the point where I think that group has gone as far as it can and also there wasn't really someone who might be available for CJ like yeah. Simmons, they want to get better defensively, obviously. Now, the question to me becomes, who is sending the assets and how much are they in addition to those two guys? Man, if it, to me, if I'm Philly, I have to get something in addition, right? Because that CJ contract is not looking great right now. And so yeah. I'm, I'm giving up some considerable upside here, too, with Simmons. So I want something in addition back if I'm Philadelphia. And I think that's where a lot of these Simmons trades get really hard is is I think Philadelphia is looking at him at one level of valuation, which they probably ought to. I mean, when you're the trading team and his reputation is probably a little diminished with the other teams. I think there are still teams out there that value him. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's going to be hard for Philly to thread that needle where they get everything they think they should get for, for Simmons and are, and are happy with the deal. Uh, it's, you know, they, that's they always my him. favorite. Sorry, what you were saying? Uh, I, I, it wasn't important. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it, it's always funny to me the uh, we got to trade this guy we we can't go on with them oh but you got to give us more for him <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Like, how dare you make us an insulting offer for this guy we, we've determined we need to get rid of yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and so I think that's that's the problem for Philly to me is they don't really have the internal leverage right now. You, they can't, and maybe they maybe they will ultimately do this. But as of right now, I mean, there's been talks that they've been trying to trade him, and obviously there's reporting that he, uh, Rich Paul met with management, and uh, you know people might have seen him pass up that layup at the end of Game Seven. <laughs> that, that's that's public public knowledge. So do you really have the internal leverage? Can you credibly say as Philly, well, these offers are just too shitty. We, we're not going to take them because... I mean, if you go into next year with him, I mean, maybe you, you think you can move him at the trade deadline, but you just, you can't believe, and Daryl Morey said this essentially, he's like, yeah, we lost in the second round, like, we're not close to good enough right now, and so you know that some kind of a change needs to be made. You can't go into I don't think next you can, postseason. I, I don't think you can show up for training camp with with him and be credible. I, I, just, I just don't, after the way this year ended. Yeah. I mean, and so, but are the offers so shitty, right? I mean, if if it's 
if Neil O'Shea says, nope, the offer is CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons and we're not throwing anything else in, deal with it. And that's your best offer. You taking that? You you might need to deal with that. You you might you might need to take that and say, well, you know, we'll fight another day. I, I, I don't like. Yeah. If, so you you hold up hold on to Simmons at that point. Yeah. If you're, I mean, it's risky because what are you are you getting a better offer later? Like what what's what's the situation that's changing that results in you like you know does he come back for the next year with Philly and you see him in a completely new light? Like man, I have a I have a hard to. It's much easier. It's much easier for him to rehabilitate his trade value anywhere except Philadelphia actually <laughs> it's the problem the Sixers face well yeah and it's, I mean there's two schools of thought there's one uh, of well hey uh you know once he gets back out there and he looks fine and he's averaging 14 points a game and eight assists and he's you know, in the defensive player of the year conversation because Doc Rivers is saying he's in the defensive player of the year conversation <laughs> everyone will forget about last year or there's the argument of like hey no maybe actually he's he's working on his individual skill he's not playing with australia like he's everything's gonna be better now he's gonna hit a few jumpers or uh you know he can be more assertive at the end of games or the free throws are better now but then there's the possibility that he's just fucked and you missed your chance to deal him because it's gonna become clear to everyone that he's on a terrible contract right like if we're talking about ben simmons making 20 million a year or 15 million a year then by all means go ahead and see if you can rehab his value 30 million dollar a year ben simmons I mean, I think he's already not worth that contract now. So yeah, CJ, that's not a great contract either. But I think you're trading someone who's not worth his contract for someone who's not worth his contract, even though Simmons is younger. uh, But CJ is obviously the better fit. Simmons is a tough fit. So I mean, I, I I don't know. I I that is a very difficult. But hopefully they can maybe create some external leverage if you have multiple offers for them. Then you can play those off against each other. A, a That's little the bit. point but, you're trying to get. I mean, to I think if, if I'm if yeah. Philly, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well this was fun. Let's uh, get into some speaker requests here. We got a bunch of y'all. Uh, thanks for getting those in. It's actually working this year. So we got about 20 minutes. Let's get to Justin and just jump in and uh, say hello. Justin, you're on with John and me. Hello. Um, so this is bearing in mind not the crazy mainstream criticism of, Boden- of Coach Budenholzer, but more so the reasonable criticism. Like on Dunk Don, you've noted his lack of rotation assertiveness and unique shot selection. <laughs> but my question is, um, in Nate's podcast, we often hear about the cook versus the groceries. So what is the most fair way to evaluate when a coach's base scheme or base system is great, but there is a lack of scheme versatility. So we've seen this with Milwaukee, Utah, Philly this year, um, Coach Bud's Atlanta teams, maybe a few of uh, Stevens and Thibodeau's teams. And I'm a Spurs fan, so I've seen it with Popovich from 2008 to like 2018. I wouldn't call our current base system great. Um, so has have the past few years taught us to be more skeptical skeptical of coaches that are very system-based. I mean, if we're going to trust these coaches with their system, how is the front office supposed to pivot if they're winning 50, 60 games? And is it as simple as chef versus groceries? Yeah. It's, so to me uh, on this, yeah, go, go ahead, John. Actually, now you, you, you hit first and then I'll come in. Well, so I think it all just gets down to what your personnel is, right? I mean, it, you mentioned the groceries. So Utah, for example, people were like, oh yeah, why doesn't Quinn Snyder just take Rudy Gobert off the floor? Uh, well, well, have you seen who their other defensive players are? Like, the, as bad as it is now, it's going to be even worse if he's off the floor, right? Like, if you if they didn't play the system that they played, if they didn't have Rudy Gobert, they would basically be the worst defense in the league. 
And so to get them to where they are defending competently, even in the regular season, you deserve a lot of credit. Uh, Pop, you, you mentioned him. That's one where I felt like, for example, in that Oklahoma City series in 2016, he could have gone small with Kawhi at the four and you know, kind of beaten up that uh, bully ball lineup where they were playing Cantor and Adams together. And he just never did that, right? So it's when you have, and Bud is another one where we're finally seeing them do it now where they're switching with Giannis uh, at center. They're going to more of that. They're playing Tucker at the four with him. And that group has worked pretty well because they have the personnel to do it. What kills me is it's when you clearly have the personnel to play a different way, to try a different way, and yet you're so wedded to your system, as I would say Bud was a little bit too much at times, and Pop was also. You're so wedded to your system that even though you have the personnel to try something different, you're just not doing it. That's when I really uh, draw the line, as but as opposed to Snyder, they don't have the personnel to do anything different. Yeah, I, and I think that's one of the things people get tripped up on is it may not be scheme versatility, it may be roster versatility. You, you need, you know, you you can only optimize the players you have, and so you need to take advantage of that appropriately. The uh, the thing, I mean, I I do think too that we've seen some growth from Bud this year in terms of adding more flexibility. I don't think he's still like say I don't think it's something he does instinctively. Let's say, uh, but I think it's an area where he's definitely improved, and we've seen that in these playoffs. No, I I agree. I mean, the switching that I mean, even switching with Brooke Lopez in the Hawks series worked pretty well, particularly once Trey was a little bit limited. Switching with him in the Phoenix series didn't. Work. Work, but I mean, he's he definitely has been willing to try stuff. I mean, within the realm of uh, the players that that are available, like I, I don't think these last two series. You know, I wouldn't say that he's like. Uh, uh, I think he's coached pretty decent series, and part part of that maybe is because they don't have as much depth as they did. He's actually you know willing to play Giannis more than thirty six minutes a game in the playoffs now that has helped them uh also in part because they have no depth so i think he's cleaned up a, a lot i mean a lot of the criticisms that you've had about him i think and it's he's even had to evolve throughout these playoffs but i think most of those uh he has uh quelled a lot of them uh, for me um it, this is also interesting too uh, justin and i think it's very easy it's much easier for fans to want to crap on the coach because it's like number one that's just like a decision right like you could put yourself in the the coach's shoes and be like oh i could be doing a better job on this and also like it's easy to change the coach you're not really like rooting for the coach right like you're rooting for these players it's much harder to just acknowledge that hey like our personnel just can't do anything different there's there's nothing else the coach could be doing here like that's i think that's just harder as a fan to accept sure um um, yeah. Would you say that the coach is like the new three and D wing where it's like they have all these base skills, but, you know, if they learn how to do all this other versatile stuff, like they'll, they'll be like much more acceptable, so to speak. Um, Cause I was thinking like maybe like coach Snyder, coach, Bo- coach Budenholzer, like they might have to be kept on like shorter leashes. Like they might just be like better for mediocre teams to help them reach, um, you know, a new ceiling. Um, but as you said, uh, Coach Bud has shown improvements, and you know maybe there's hope for these system coaches. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, coaches well, uh, are, are the yeah, same as ahead. players in one respect. You know, they can get they can get better, they can get worse. You know, they can have off court problems. They can, you know, all, all the same things that can happen with a player can happen with a coach too. Uh, and so I, you know, I think we've seen Bud improve in in his in how he manages playoffs. 
Yeah, so, uh, and last thing on this before we move on, uh, I think it's also worth noting that, hey, maybe if you didn't have this system, you you would have been, you know, the sixth seed and lost in the first round, right? Like maybe, maybe the system is what is taking you even as far as you are, even if you can't change it. So that, that's, a, but particularly when your personnel is more limited, I think that's a, a more reasonable argument. Thanks for that, Justin. We've got about 10 minutes left here. So let's get to David. David, you are on with John and me, but you are muted right now. Oh, sorry about that. Um, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Well, yeah. All right. Perfect. Um, I was curious what your thoughts would be on a De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons swap. Ah! Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, In terms of fit, um, I feel like Sacramento is a great example of they are much less than the sum of their parts at this point. Um, and I feel like Halliburton actually is in a, in a role where he could, you know, take over the reins if there was less, uh, dependency to share kind of the, those team leadership roles. So your, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I, I think we could take this one pretty quickly. De'Aaron Fox is way better than Ben Simmons. I would not want to make that trade. He's under contract for longer. He's younger. Um, actually, it has, a, I think, a little bit better of a health record uh, than Simmons. And, yeah. you know, he's just an, 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 he's just an easier fit. He's better. I And I, I would say, it, to the extent Sacramento is less than the some of their parts, I would blame Marvin Bagley and Buddy Heald's kind of lack of versatility and, and inability to fit in defensively than I would uh, De'Aaron Fox. I think he and Halliburton can work pretty well due to Halliburton's shooting ability. So uh, unless you have anything to add, John, we can take another couple here. I think well, we, when you we talk about time, Sacramento so. being less than the sum of its parts, I think you're ignoring the uh, the Ella Luke Walton in the room. <laughs> sorry, so so David, sorry if if we uh, didn't mean to be so dismissive there. Uh, but if there if there's something else you wanted to add. Oh, just secondarily to that, I was just curious if you thought that um, Harrison Barnes had more value in the marketplace than Buddy Heald, or if you were coming at it from a Sacramento perspective, uh, which of those two guys you would be less resistant to moving or would expect more value from in the marketplace? Uh, you, you, more you, value from Barnes and, yeah. And and you would be more reluctant to move Barnes, yes. <laughs> the, 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 better, the, the better player is the one you would like to keep, but you will get more for him. Shocking, I know. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Yub. Yub Ali, you are on with, with uh, John and me. Yub, are you there? All right, Yub, try and, try and jump back in if you can at a later point. Let's get to... Matthew, Matthew Ho, you're on. Hi, uh, hi, John. Uh, I know you guys talked about the John Collins extension a little earlier, but what about his fit on the Hawks? I know the kind of the talk around him a while ago was that his fit on the Hawks isn't great, but after this playoff performance, what do you think about his fit now? And should the Hawks retain him? I think he did a very good job of adapting his game to the new reality of how the Hawks line up and play. And I mean, he's a good offensive player. He's gotten a lot better defensively. He's still a little bit of uh, like not quite a four, not quite a five, a little bit, but he's definitely become more comfortable at that four spot to the point where you can play him basically the whole game at four and, and it's fine. So I think he I think he has really improved his value. His his hawks centric value i think he has improved i think that does make it more likely they keep him yeah all right thanks for that matthew let's see if we can squeeze one more in here and that is going to be davis davis you're on hey can you guys hear me yeah what's up howdy uh first thing is the the big man 
uh, discounts that you guys are talking about. I, I thought Christian Wood might be a good one too, who got probably less money than he was worth last last year. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that is a good one, and another guy who didn't have you know, came from an undrafted type of profile. Yeah, uh, but my question is, um, when someone's like entering restricted free agency, how come there are only two options? Seem to be take the qualifying offer or like take the max, like Luka Doncic, let's say, right? What's stopping him from just getting a one-year or two-year deal and then entering unrestricted free agency? So uh, the problem there is that the nobody is offering him a one- or two-year deal. If you receive a qualifying offer, a an offer sheet from another team must be at least two years. And if you get a max qualifying offer, which has only been given out a couple of times, I think Jimmy Butler might be the only one who's ever gotten one, then any offer sheet must be at least three guaranteed years. And if you're the Dallas Mavericks, you're saying, okay, your offer is a five-year deal or your offer is the qualifying offer. If he gets to restricted free agency, which he's not going to. So, you know, once you get to that point, those are the only contracts that you're actually being offered. And another team is probably going to have to offer you uh, three years if you get a maximum qualifying offer at least so yeah there's no way uh if you're really that level of guy to where you can get less i've john i've talked about before of like well if the guy doesn't want to be there why don't they just agitate to get out before even their rookie extension but no one really i think has had the balls to to try that approach porzingis is is the only real case we have yeah but also they didn't want to actually give him that contract (laughs) (laughs) like they didn't want to give they they were reluctant yeah that's true too yeah um and so who knows how that would have played out if they had just retained him he probably would have ended up just signing there Uh, again i think that was one where the building was willing to topple he hadn't played it all that year so it was a little different all right well thanks for that question davis and thanks to everyone who joined us on spotify green room and also on hollinger and duncan we should be back uh, around the same time next week and we'll talk to you all then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.